good to see everybody this evening. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I have just a, a shorter period of time tonight, uh, but we, we have a lot to get through. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we're going to be at this evening. Um, because we so believe here at Saints Hill in the confession of the tongue to affirm what God has spoken, after I read the scripture, we're getting in the habit of this, after I read the scripture, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and then all of us together are going to affirm what God has spoken by saying this, may we receive it. So let's practice this one more time. I know we did this last week. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. There you go. Okay, that was pretty good. We'll see how it goes after we read this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. <laughs> I like that. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. This is the word of the Lord. This evening, I, I want to put forth to you this. The church Jesus longs for prophesies. The church Jesus longs for prophesies. Um, I want you to imagine, generally speaking, what the average person in the U.S. has at their fingertips to make a wise decision. Imagine your friend who doesn't follow Jesus. What do they have at their fingertips in order to make a wise choice? Um, maybe first to your mind would be they have the news. So if they want to make a wise choice, maybe they'll hop on CNN. They'll scroll around. Maybe, maybe they'll search out a news website, and they'll just see what's going on in the op-ed section in order to get a little bit informed. Uh, but, you know, even if you do that, there will always be this sneaking suspicion that you're being spun somehow, right? Uh, maybe if you don't follow Jesus, what you have at your fingertips to make a wise choice would be best practices of organizations. Maybe you recently went to a team uh, building training or some kind of leadership training, and you're like, oh, you know, they said those few things, and, and, and maybe if I do this in that situation, I'd get a better result, right? Um, maybe what you would do, and maybe this is the first thing that most people would do, is they'll get a group of friends together, and they'll just be like, what's the collective wisdom here? Well, what do, you, what do you all think about this decision? What, what do you think I should do? Let's grab some drinks and have at it, and the best idea wins. Or, or maybe, and I think this is the one that probably nobody wants to admit, but all of us do this, is, is the entertainment media informs our wise decisions. So like, you know, well, that one, song, that one line in that song is so catchy, and well, maybe it's just true. <laughs> so many relationships have been built <laughs> on bad advice from music. But it's like this idea of like, what do you do if you need wisdom? The, the, the point being is this. Living a wise life for most people in the U.S. is left up to most people shooting in the dark, just trying to make a decision. What if I told you this evening that it was possible to access another realm 
where every piece of wisdom you needed that wasn't accessible to anybody else was accessible to you in any situation. Some of you don't believe me, but you will by the end of this, all right? Now, um, we just read in this text that Paul is addressing the Corinthian church about spirituals. That's the language when you read spiritual gifts in here. In Greek, it just says spirituals, okay? Um, And what he's saying, and he said this earlier in uh, chapter 12, is he's made this claim up on the screen. We have this uh, verse from chapter 12. Uh, No, I think before that one. Do we have one before it? Oh, did I not do this the right way? Oh, there it is. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Basically, what is happening is, next slide, Paul is beating up on polytheism and animism, Paul wants to help them, the, first, the Corinthian church, understand how one God could move in so many ways. There's one spirit, a variety of gifts, we're to desire after all of them. Now, if you live in Corinth in the first century, this is revolutionary to the Roman Gentile mind. In your mind, you're thinking that your ability to sacrifice correctly to a variety of gods would bring into your life whatever those specific gods specialized in. You need peace, you gotta go to the peace god. Your sex life is out of whack, you need to go to the sex god. You don't have any finances, you need to go to the finance god. And your ability to do stuff for them produces their gifts in your life. But Paul is adamant that the spirit of Jesus is very different. When you believed, you received the spirit of Jesus, and that from that one spirit, there are many helpful manifestations that edify the body of of Christ, edify the church, and build us up. So so I need you guys to get this. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Uh, It's not like some people have the gift of prophecy and other people have the gift of tongues. No. Everybody has the gift of the spirit, and the Spirit does a ton of different things in our, and through our lives. There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Everybody gets the same Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? Now, um, we do a whole prayer training here at Saints Hill, some of you I'm sure have participated in, um, that that goes through a number of the different manifestations of the Spirit and how we actually want to see those happen, specifically in our prayer ministry after our gatherings. Um, So please make sure that you register for that class next time we have it. I think we're aiming for fall at this point. Uh, But specifically tonight, I want to talk about prophecy. I want to talk about the prophetic for for a number of different reasons. Uh, The first reason why I want to address the prophetic is a pastoral reason for all of you. Um, Many of you have had questions about prophecy. We'll get up here at the end of the gathering. We're going to share prophetic words, what we think could be prophetic words from our pre-gathering prayer that happens before our gatherings. And many of you are like, "Um, what is that? What are you guys doing? I've never seen this done before. Um, I I think we've done a lot of show and not a lot of tell, and so I want to verbally explain to you our theology, where we're coming from, and why prophecy matters. Um, So first, it's a pastoral reason. Secondly, um, I want to talk a little bit about prophetic etiquette. Prophetic etiquette. Um, Because of the power of prophecy, it can be an opportunity for manipulation and emotionalism if it's not taught correctly. Uh, Maybe some of you have even come from churches in the past where that has been the case. We do not want that to be the case in our church. Um, We are a church that honors the word of God and the spirit, 
because we believe that the Spirit is always testifying to the Word of God and will never say anything contrary to what God has already spoken. So tonight, if you're following along in your notes, we're going to talk about three different things. What is prophecy? How do we prophesy? And lastly, why do we prophesy? What is prophecy? How do we prophesy? And why do we prophesy? So what is it? Um, well, well, here's what prophecy isn't. Prophecy isn't us getting a crystal ball, looking into it, and being like, I see a cloud, and the cloud is in the shape of a cheeseburger. You've been eating too many cheeseburgers. That's not prophecy. Prophecy isn't um, getting a, a deck of cards and flipping them over and being like, you have the raven, and you have the knight. That means, you know, whatever. No, that's not prophecy. Um, it is prophecy getting together and going, okay, when is the world going to end? Flipping through here, reading the newspaper, it's going to end in 2012. You're like, uh, no. Um, that's not prophecy. Uh, is prophecy antichrist hunting? It's like, oh, we got a new president. He's got to be the antichrist. I just, this time we're right, guys. That's the antichrist. I, I don't think so. No, we live in the new covenant. And thus our vision of the prophetic is not shaped around judgment but it's shaped around a hope that heaven and earth will one day be united, and so we're trying to line up our language to that effect. At the core, prophecy is the sharing of the heart of God into a world without hope. That's what prophecy is. Now, um, one of my goals uh, tonight is to dial down the intensity and the emotionalism and the weirdness that surround the prophetic. That's like one of my pastoral goals in general. So I, I just want to ask you guys a quick question, and I'm going to need some response on this. So how many of you, think about this experience. I just want you to raise your hand if you've had this sort of experience. You've been reading your Bible, or you've been driving in the car listening to a worship song, and while you're reading this particular passage or while you're singing this particular song, there's someone who keeps coming to mind. Has anybody ever had that happen before? You're reading the Bible and you're like, I just can't get this person out of my head. Um, how many of you have ever shared that with that person? You've shared that, hey, I, I got this passage, I just got to share it with you. Or, hey, have you heard this song? I think it just, maybe you should listen to it or something like that. How many of you have actually shared it with that person before? Wow, okay, this is going to be super easy tonight then. Um, that's prophecy. I want to explain a, a little bit where we're coming from. Um, it's almost like Joel was telling the truth when he wrote in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Everybody say, all people. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. That's prophecy. What the prophetic is is simply this. It's getting God's thoughts about a matter or about a person and then sharing those thoughts with that person or speaking those thoughts into that situation. Now, if you're sitting here and you're still a little bit lost, I understand. Here's the scriptural matrix that we're working from. Firstly, Psalm 139, verse 17 through 18 says this, and I, honestly, I would just snap some photos of these or write down the, the references. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. So pause for a second. God has a lot of thoughts, would you agree? And God has a lot of thoughts about you, because this was written by a person, David wrote this, and he's like, your thoughts about me are so vast that they outnumber the sand on the seashore. 
Next passage of scripture. John 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in that same uh, chapter, it says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now what John is getting at is he's getting at this, when God speaks, it looks like Jesus. God's language looks like Jesus. Now, pause for a second. We are all, would everybody agree? How, how many of you agree with this statement? We're made in the image of God. Okay, a good number of you agree with that. I appreciate that. Um, we are made in the image of someone whose language creates worlds. What I want to propose to you is that when you speak, a world leaps into being. An environment leaps into being. Because we're made in the image of someone who speaks and a world leaps into being. Now, next passage says this. John 15, 15, Jesus speaking. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Okay, so hang on a second. Let's just pause for a second. God has a lot of thoughts. A lot. (laughs) We're made in the image of someone who, when they speak, a world leaps into being. Jesus calls us friends, and he's like, you wouldn't know what God's up to unless I were your friend, but since we're friends, I'm going to tell you. Some of us need to read our Bibles more, huh? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Now, pause, look at me for a second. Do you know what your neighbor's thinking right now? Probably not. Even if you were to know them very well, you still probably wouldn't know what they're thinking, right? Exactly. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Okay, so... We're going to get there. Skipping down to verse 16, here's what it says. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Pause. Look at me. You know what the Old Testament says? His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So you know how we would, everybody would answer this? Who's, who's a Jew in the first century? Nobody. Who would dare to, to know the thoughts of God so as to instruct him? No one. Paul's word's not mine, but we have the mind of Christ. What does this mean? I think what these passages mean as you, as you put them together and you develop a theology around God wanting to speak to his creation is this. God wants to mingle his thoughts with your thoughts so that he can seed the world with his hope, not your despair. Now, now notice in this passage it says that we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't say you have the mind of Christ or I have the mind of Christ. It says we. The plurality is purposeful. This is why whenever somebody speaks a prophetic word or says, you know, I'm gonna sh- I think I'm sharing God's thoughts right now, testing it in a group of people who all have the spirit of God is really helpful. This is why we do pre-gathering prayer. Everybody's invited to it, 4 p.m. every Sunday down in the youth room. What we're doing is we're inviting God's thoughts and then we're bouncing them off each other and basically saying, does that sound like it lines up with the text? Does that sound right? Do you think that could be for this evening? Now, how do you prophesy? If prophecy is getting the thoughts of God, he's got tons of these thoughts. He's made them available to us. We have his spirit. We've been called friends with God. He wants to share them with us. How do we do it? How does it actually work? 
Well, um, just by a show of hands, we're doing a lot of interaction tonight. I, I appreciate this. Hopefully you do too. Um, how many of you have ever had something negative said about you that shaped the way you saw yourself? Just a little bit of vulnerability. Everybody's had that happen. Somebody's spoken something about you, and you're like, that's who I am. I'm just that person. It's amazing. Somebody's words shaped a whole existence for you. Some of you, your entire middle school years, all of your high school years were shaped around something that somebody said. Words have power. Prophecy is like that, but it's with God behind the words. So, so here's how we practice this at Saints Hill. A little, uh, we got, what, one, two, three, four steps to practicing this here at our church. We want to create space to listen. We want to create space to listen. There's a lot of noise in our lives. There's a lot of input that we're getting. There's a lot of content coming at us. And so we actually want to create some level of silence, some level of solitude, so that we can actually discern, what are we thinking? If I have the mind of Christ, oh my gosh. Okay, so is that your thought, God? No, that doesn't sound like you. Is that, does that, that kind of sounds like me. Oh, maybe that's your thought, that one right there. Uh, just this morning, we had a meeting with our deacons. We're doing a little deacon training with them. And uh, I just felt led that, hey, let's just take a moment to be quiet. Let's open, you know, pay attention to what you're thinking. Listen to what, you know, may be going on in your head. And then let's see if there's anything encouraging that comes out of that for any specific person in the circle. Now, we're very used to this. This is our culture. may not be your normal. It's our normal. So um, we're sitting in the circle, and uh, sure enough, there was a couple people that God wanted to highlight and just speak encouraging thoughts over. It's a beautiful time. So we want to create space to listen. Secondly, we believe that God made us and that he intends to use what we have. He intends to use us. So, so maybe sometimes, you, every time you're like, every time I get quiet, my thoughts just go crazy. I just have these wild, you know, daydreams. I don't even know. There's no, nothing sensical could come from that. Well, but what if it could? What if God, he made your imagination and he intends to use your imagination? What if that? So how does this work? Well, sometimes you'll pause and you'll create space and you'll say, God, you know, I read those passages and I, and I believe that you want to speak to me and that, and I, and that you've given me your spirit. So um, what do you want to say? And every now and then, maybe there's a verse that pops into your head and you're just like, okay, well, I just read that verse this morning. Maybe that's why I'm thinking about it. Well, maybe he intended to say the same thing that he said to you this morning again. Um, so sometimes people, when they pause and they listen, they get a picture in their mind. They're like, I just have this image. And uh, I remember one time uh, we were doing this on the staff at Bridgetown at one of our uh, staff meetings. And uh, one of my good friends, Alex Salzville, is sitting to my right. And I, I was zoned out. I am like checked out at this point. I'm just like thinking, can we get done with the prayer part of this to get to the business stuff? And all of a sudden, I have this image of a white picket fence and of his wife with a baby. They don't have kids. I don't really want to prophesy them having kids or whatever. I'm like, I don't know, pressure. But anyway, I finally just go, hey, uh, I think I might have something. I share the image with him, and he just breaks down and just starts weeping. He says, I have been asking God to give me confirmation on whether I'm ready to step into fatherhood, but I've been terrified because I didn't have a good father, and I'm so scared of, of repeating his mistakes. I'm like, uh, I was daydreaming, uh, what? <laughs> Sometimes uh, you'll have just a little video that plays in your head. Um, uh, you know, Vine doesn't exist anymore, but I still have Vines in my head. Like, it's, Vine exists, the app's still there. Uh, like, today, we're in this group just taking a moment to listen, and all I see 
You're going to appreciate this, Dad. All I see is I see Phil. Where's Phil at? Is Phil somewhere? Where is Phil? Somewhere. He's not here. He's, not, he's going to miss his shout out? Okay. Anyway, I see Phil, one of our deacons. I see him on the Metolius River. Anybody know the Metolius River? Any fishermen out there? Yeah, a couple of you. I see him on the Metolius River. And if you know the Metolius, it's incredibly hard to catch fish there. Like, what have you caught? Maybe like three fish on the Metolius? No fish. Zero. Okay. Anyway, it's very hard to catch fish there. And I see Phil, and he's just casting his rod out there, and he's just catching fish, and they're like flinging up onto the shore, and he's like, watch this. And he's just bringing them up on the shore, and I'm like, why am I having this? This is so wacky. Well, then, all of a sudden, I remember, well, you know what Phil's the deacon of? He's the deacon of Alpha. And and it goes in my mind. I go from, oh, it's not fish. It's people. And he's catching men. And women. And they're coming up on the shore and just crowding the shore. And so I just share this with him, and it just directly relates to exactly what he's thinking. It's so powerful. You just pause to listen. Some of you may, uh, it, it may manifest with just a gut feeling. You're like, I just got this gut feeling. I need to go encourage that person. Like, I need to just see how they're doing. That's God moving you. Pay attention to that. For some of you, it's a sensation in your body. Or you may, there's a lot of times this has happened. Somebody's walked into church. One of our leaders has walked into church, and they've had a pain in their body that they've never had before. And they're like, I'm not really sure what this pain is about. Um, maybe there's somebody that this pain might relate to something physical in their body. And God, God is just highlighting. He's using what he's created to highlight how he wants heaven to come. How fun is that? It's amazing. I think it's fun. Sometimes God will use what, what is just around you. Maybe you're not thinking anything, and you're like, all I see is a tree. I'm not going to speak tree out because I'm looking at a tree. Well, could it be that God intends to use your surrounding to speak to the people around you too? Maybe so. For some of you, maybe there's a song that comes to mind or a melody. There were several songs that Jake just sang, uh, that we just sang together, that were not on the set list. <gasps> <laughs> They're not on there because we're more interested in worship rather than performing songs. And so he's, he's prophetically leading worship going, okay, God, but where do you want to go next? What do you wanna, how do you want to move your people? How do you want to speak to them this evening? So once you, once you do that, once you create space, you listen, and there's something there, then you reach out and you grab it. You go, okay, I'm going to consider this. I'm going to mull this over. Is that, do I, should I really say this, God? Is this something that you really want me to say? Does it line up with scripture? Or is this kind of wacky? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mull it over. And then finally, the final step is you share it in faith. And you just never know what could happen. You just never know. I, I used to belong to this gym called Planet Granite down in the Pearl. When I lived downtown, and I go rock climbing a bunch, and it's just, it's a wonderful place. Any rock climbers in the house, you just love Planet Granite, a cuppy, they're all over here. They're all my friends. Okay, anyways. So, um, there's this gal who worked there, and she had this giant tattoo on her forearm. I didn't know what it was, and, and I remember one day I walked in, and, the, and the, I, was, I was really pushing myself, like, I, I don't want to just do this in the church. I want to see heaven come everywhere that I go. And so the Lord is like, I want you to go interpret her tattoo for her. And I'm like, what? You, what? No, 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 that's so weird, I'm not going to do that, so I don't do it, so anyways, I, I go work out, and a week goes by, and I'm just over that week, I'm like repenting hard, I'm like, okay, God, you told me to do that, and John Wimber, he says faith is spelled R-I-S-K, so God, I want to risk, okay, so then that next, that next week, I go in, and she's all by herself at the desk, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to share with her. Today is the day I'm going to share with her. So I go up to her and I, and I just say, 
hey, that's a great tattoo you got there. Can I look at it? Because I'm like, i got to buy some time like, to figure out what the heck this tattoo even is. So I'm looking at it, and it's a tattoo of a lion. I'm like, oh, that's easy. C.S. Lewis made this so easy for me. Like, Lion of Judah, yeah, Aslan, I'm just going to, this is going to be awesome. So, but I'm like, am I, am I just going to be like, well, you know, God is the Lion of Judah or something? Like, what? How does that help her? She's like, thanks. So anyway, I say to her, I, I go, um, hey, uh, you know, and in that moment, I just remember, oh, I, there's this song that, that God is going before us and he's fighting our battles for us. And I just think of a lion just tearing through like whatever this girl has in front of her. So I just say to her, I'm like, this might, I, I always, I used to do this. I used to say, hey, you know, you think Portland's a weird place, don't you? They're like, oh yeah, Portland's so weird. I'm like, this is gonna be weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, Uh, so I'm like, I, I follow Jesus. I'm a pastor. Don't hit me. Uh, did you know that the scriptures talk about God as a lion and that I just feel like he wants to go before you and he wants to fight whatever battles you have in, in front of you. And she just starts weeping, just tears welling up in her eyes. She's like, her lip is quivering and she's just like, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. You have no idea. Just getting a little touch from the good God, the good Father that we serve. But you know what? It's okay to get it wrong, guys. Sometimes I get, I've gotten this wrong so many times. I remember one time I was with Andoni and Jacob. We're at this Mexican restaurant. And I'm like, you guys remember this. This was not fun. Oh, gosh. So we're at this restaurant. And I, I'm like, guys, we need to get a word for this waitress of ours. <laughs> and I... <laughs> we haven't done this since. Well, maybe we should. All right. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, what is the word? And I, and I, I feel like I hear that she has a sister. So I'm like, okay, that's enough for me to go on. I'll just see what happens. So she comes up to the table, and I'm like, hey, so, you know, we follow Jesus, and we feel like he speaks to us. I'm like, this has got to sound so crazy. Do you have a sister? And she's just like, no. And I'm like, okay. Uh, well, blessings on you? Like, I don't even know. Like, what do you say at that point? So then she goes to the table next to us, and she's like, you will never guess what those guys just said. They follow Jesus, and they think they can hear from him. Isn't that crazy? And they're like, oh, laughing. I'm like, oh. (laughs) Oh, it's good to be hated for the same reason why Jesus was hated, all right? Because my identity is settled and it's not dependent on my ability to prophesy, I'm actually freed up to risk in faith just for the potential that the kingdom could come through my life. Just the potential is enough. Our goal is no matter what, no matter where we are, to love the person in front of us. Just look how often Jesus was moved with compassion and it moved him to a kingdom moment. It's all over the text. Now, now, in light of that, I, I want to pause for a moment, and I want to talk about giving and receiving prophetic words, and a little bit prophetic etiquette for you, because it's not a free-for-all, and Paul actually explains that in this passage. Look down at verse 3. It says this, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening. Everybody say strengthening. strengthening. Encouraging. Everybody say encouraging. encouraging. And comfort. Everybody say comfort. 
Now, it, it's super important for us to get those, that, that's our filter for anything prophetic. And it's super important for us to understand the covenant that we live under. The purpose of the Old Covenant, if you read throughout the Old Testament, you, you're looking at the Old Covenant, and it was to show that humanity needed a Savior. This is why the Old Testament is so severe. The severity of sin is being confronted with the severity of the law. That's why the prophets are constantly prophesying judgment. Because there's sin that is being confronted that warrants judgment. But we don't live in the Old Covenant. We live in the New Covenant because of the work of Jesus on the cross and in the grave, right? And so things have changed dramatically in relation to judgment and in relation to the law. Next slide. The goal of Old Testament prophecy was to show Israel the correct way to live through the severity of discipline. New Testament prophecy's goal is that we would find the treasure even amongst the mess of people's lives and then call them to it. Here's the deal. It doesn't take a prophet to point out what something, something that's wrong in someone's life. It's not hard to find that out. But what it does take a prophet to do is to look at what could be in the life of another and call them to it, to invite them to it. See, God leads us by love rather than fear, so the prophetic acts as a guide to our destiny on the pathways of love. Prophecy is a glory-to-glory declaration over someone. It strengthens them. It encourages them. It comforts them. Don't you want to do that? I want to do that. So verse 3 again, look down. It says this, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Four things that prophetic words will always do. They will, one, always call out the destiny or the calling of someone's life. When we speak prophetically over someone, it's not a time for doom and gloom. It's a time to speak about the good that God intends to do because all of his thoughts towards us are good and for our benefit. Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Prophecy releases people into their God-given destinies because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, not his judgment. He already took all of his judgment out on the cross, and now he has kindness left for you. Do you believe that? Secondly, it will always release comfort in difficulty. How many of you can look back on your life and you can see God's action in your past? You're like, oh, hindsight being 2020, I can see you were there, I can see you were there, I can see you did that. We look to the past and we can see him, yet it is difficult for many to look to the future and imagine him a part of it. And so we get in fear. What if he's not there for this? Or what if he's not there for that? Or what if this doesn't happen? Or what if this does happen? Prophecy releases comfort because it imagines a future with God in it, which is the truth. Uh, Thirdly, it will provide revelation into the heart of God. Prophecy always shows people the character of God. If you want to know what God's character is, go read Exodus 34, verse 6. Moses asks God, who are you? What is your character like? And he passes before him. He says, I'm the gracious, compassionate one, slow to anger, abounding in love, quick to forgive. Prophecy always speaks that character over him. Prophecy isn't a time for us to be like, uh, God showed me you, it showed uh, you in front of a computer screen, and I just know you're looking at porn, so stop it. That's not strengthening, encouraging, or comforting. It's just exposing. You're like, I'm never coming to this church again. It may be God's intention to say he, what he wants to do is he wants to bring about purity in your life, and he actually is saying it's possible. Do you believe it's possible? Because there's a lot of people who are addicted to pornography in, in the church, And they just don't believe it's possible to get out of it. And so they need somebody with a prophetic imagination to imagine them getting out of it. And then finally, it never, 
I repeat, church, it never contradicts the Bible. The Bible, in, in, a, in a large sense, is a prophetic document. It's God, God making his thoughts known to us in, in text. And, and so it, the prophetic will never contradict the scriptures. That's why knowledge of scripture is key. Satan will try to come in, he'll try to twist the scriptures, try to distort them, uh, directly oppose them, but the prophetic will always line up with the scriptures. I just want to say this to a church that's going to be learning how to prophesy in the coming months. Um, It is deadly to be prophetic without a knowledge of the scriptures. Deadly. We will not be a church that honors the prophetic above the scriptures. We will be a church that honors the prophetic in light of the scriptures. So here's some further uh, instruction that we get. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, later on in this, in this same chapter, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Now, what the heck is he saying there? What, what, what is he getting at? The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Well, well here, I think here's what he's saying. You can't say, hey, I said what I said because the spirit made me. No, it says that the spirit that is inspiring the prophetic in you, is actually subject to you. And you get to then discern with the mind that God has given you to go through the text and say, does this actually line up, right? So you have a role. It's not just like, thus saith the Lord. No, 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 no. It's actually God using you, your personality, experiences, the things that you've inputted into your life over the past couple days or whatever it is, and and speaking out of that. So um, here's our culture of prophecy here at Saints Hill, our culture that we're wanting to develop. I'm just going to verbally describe it real fast. Firstly, no drama. No drama. The voice that you use when you prophesy or you share prophetically with, with someone should just be your normal speaking voice. It's not like, and so then I saw this tree, and you were in the tree, and you jumped out of the tree. No, no, just use your voice. <laughs> it's normal. It's nor- it is, we're try- what we want is we want to be supernaturally normal people who hear from God and just go, you know what, God just intends, he's that good. I don't need to hype this up. My voice isn't helping the prophetic word. It's probably doing damage. I'm just gonna share, all right? Now, the other thing that we do is we don't say, thus saith the Lord, and thus saith the Lord. No, you will never hear that in our church. Uh, because sometimes we actually don't know if this is what God is saying. Something that I, I love that Jake has been bringing to mind for us as a team is that w- we need to preface whatever we share with people like this. Hey, this, I, I think this may be from God, so test it. Or, this isn't from God, this is just from me, and I just want to encourage you. We need to be clear, we're not trying to manipulate people here. Secondly, um, love is front and center. Don't flatter people with the prophetic. Sometimes I've seen this happen where people get really excited about the prophetic and they're like, I just want, and I think God is saying this when really you mean, hey, I just really love you and, and I just think a lot of you and so I, I just want to encourage you. That's great too. God is going to use that maybe even just as much as something that could potentially be from him. We love encouragement. To, to encourage somebody is to take courage and it's to put courage in them and we need a lot of courage. A lot of us know what to do. We just don't have the courage to do it. So encouragement's great. Our primary concern, when somebody, if it's your friend, if it's a family member, if it's somebody that you're praying for, is just that they get loved. And then thirdly, we focus on the positive. Like I've mentioned a couple times before, if you hear something negative in your mind about the person or the situation, like, I see dark clouds and you're in danger of being taken advantage of, so watch out. Well, that doesn't inspire hope. That's not super strengthening, encouraging, or comforting. All I, know, all I am now is I'm just put into a place of fear, and, and there's not a lot of love that's involved in that fear. So here's what we do. We just flip it. 
You just flip the word and you go, okay, I'm seeing this negative thing and the enemy is the one who wants to speak negative things over people. So I'm just gonna flip that word. I'm just gonna speak the opposite to be true. What did, for a second, what did the deceiver, the, the snake in the garden, what did he say to Adam and Eve? What was his suggestion? It was the opposite of what God had said. God said, you can eat from any tree. Just don't eat from this tree. Satan said, did God say you can't eat from any tree? It's the opposite. So oftentimes, if you know what the enemy's saying, you can know exactly what God's saying because he's always speaking the opposite. Uh, now, let's say that somebody comes to you and they give you, a prophetic, uh, give you a word that they think could be prophetic. How do you discern if it actually is prophetic or not? Well, well, oftentimes, it will connect strongly with you if it is. It's like, wow, that really relates to this thing or that thing. Um, there will be peace or there will be a level of freedom that's attached to it. Now, if you still don't know and you're like, I'm not sure if that was prophetic or not, uh, write it down. I have a journal. Um, in my journal, I have a whole section of just words that people have given me. Some of them may be prophetic. Some of them may just be nice thoughts, and that's great too. But I write those things down, and I bring them before the Lord, and I live off of those things. There's days where I'm just like, I shouldn't have moved to Newburgh. I shouldn't have planted this church. What am I doing? I'm like, oh, wait, but there's this prophetic word, and it says that. Okay, I'm going to live off of that, God. And, and I remember you spoke that to me. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm actually strengthening myself in the Lord. I want us to love the prophetic and, and to do that, we have to honor the prophetic. The scriptures are clear. What you value in the kingdom, you will get more of. So come to pre-gathering prayer, guys. I'm just gonna be honest with you. All I see at pre-gathering prayer, like a couple a, a adults, a couple young families, and then just college students. That's great, but it's time for some of us who are more mature in this church to take a hold of our faith, to take a hold of the desire for God renewing a space, and to get serious about prayer. Come to pre-gathering prayer. Finally, uh, we need to be patient with people who are learning to give prophetic words. We've got to be patient with them. When somebody comes up to us and they're like, I think this may be prophetic, our, our response shouldn't be like, you think? No, it should be like, well, what is it? What do you want to say? Share it with me. Look, God already judged Jesus with all of our sin on the cross. We don't judge the prophet, we judge the word. We're not there to judge the prophet and be like, oh, they got it wrong. They're a false prophet, we should stone them. No, that's not what happens to the new covenant prophets. That's not the risk that's at place. We should go, oh, I don't, I don't know, maybe that was right. Or this happened many times when I was, I was learning about a lot of this stuff. I remember I think I gave a word to Lorna. It didn't sit well with her, and Andoni came to me. He's like, hey, I don't think you really said the right thing there, and here's why. It's like, oh, I need to learn. I need to actually learn how to speak prophetically that's in strengthening and encouraging and comforting to people. Now, to end, why is this so important? Why does Paul say, I want every one of you to prophesy? Why is prophecy so important? Can't we just leave it up to the wackos in the church? Be like, oh, they're the prophets. Let them do their thing over there. Why is it for everybody? He says this, I would rather that all of you prophesy. Why? Well, simply put, without the prophetic, there's no kingdom. <laughs> Here we go. This is how God makes history. He anoints people to see the world from his perspective and call that world into existence. Our words are not just words. They shape a season. They shape a viewpoint. They shape a reality, and they, they are the primary way that God gets his kingdom into our world. What this understanding does is it causes us to think from heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. We need to think saved. When we pause to listen, what we're doing is we're renewing our minds. See, the normal mode of human thought works like this. Whatever's normal here on earth, that's what heaven must be like. And so we allow what's become normative in the world around us to inform our faith in what God can do. 
This has led many, and you're probably in this room, many people to see their faith just diminish. They're like, well, I used to be on fire for God. To lose hope, to fall into depression, and to call the purpose of life sin management or small luxuries in order to drown out the disillusionment of a hopeless life. Bill Johnson, he says this, I can't afford to have a thought in my mind that isn't in his. I can't afford it. Maybe you can afford to have your own thoughts. I can't. Paul puts it this way, do not be conformed, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. The renewal of the mind is the ability to think on earth as it is in heaven, not in heaven as it is on earth. N.T. Wright, he says this, the image of God is a vocation, a calling. It is the call to be an angled mirror, reflecting God's wise order into the world and the praise of all the creation back to the creator. That is good. I love that image of an angled mirror. That's exactly what the prophetic is. It's positioning your heart, positioning your mind to think and work from heaven to earth rather than the other way around. Now, when you do that, when you think saved, what will happen is people around you will start getting reconciled to God. Jesus said this, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, So let me ask you, have you ever been in a season where the truth seems distant, confusion seems to reign in your life, and freedom seems like a distant memory. Well, prophecy, the prophetic, is what breaks through the clouds, divides the lies, and speaks the truth that sets us free. It reminds us of the truth that we haven't thought of in a long time. It's what we call breakthrough, and many of you have experienced that in our church. I'm so grateful for that. Paul says this in chapter 14, later on in the same uh, chapter, that if, if an unbeliever comes into your church where you are prophesying and sharing prophetically, the secrets of their hearts will be laid bare, they will fall on their knees, and they will say, surely God is in this place. <laughs> I want that. Ultimately, the prophetic is an invitation to relationship. Come commune. Here's what he thinks about you. And this can happen anywhere. Imagine just stopping to listen for what God is saying about the people you work with. Some of you are like, no, 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 no. Not them. Mm-mm. Well, maybe he loves them more than you love them. Taking a moment to just say, okay, but what are you saying God, about this person? I know what my thoughts are about this person, but what do you think? Or what about your kids? I just think this is a prime. I'm going to run towards the end. But I, I think there is a primary call to parents this evening to speak prophetically over your children. To get the word of the Lord for that child, to get the image for that child, to write it down and to speak that over that child as they're growing up so that their reality is more formed by his thoughts than by their own insecurities. What would it look, I can't wait, 20 years in this church when there's a whole generation that's been raised up prophetically? Oh, it's gonna be good. Lastly, prophecy brings fruit out of any and every season. You know, there's seasons in our life that make sense for us to live hopeful. They make sense for us to live joyful. It's like everything, there's a wind at our back and we are just cruising, it's awesome. But there are seasons that many of you have experienced and some of you may be even in this evening where it does not make sense to produce fruit. It's like, no, this is not a fruitful season. Everybody experiences this, but I wanna say this. The prophetic has the ability to bring about fruit in every season. Recently, my wife and I got, um, we just remodeled our house. We're doing some landscaping around the house and getting some new plants and all that. And we got these, these cool plants, this 
kind of bush thing that we're pretty psyched about. And we, we've been driving around, and we've been seeing them in other people's yards. And we're like, you know, you buy a, when, you know when your friend gets a car and you see that car everywhere after that point? You're like, everybody has a Kia Soul. After you guys got a Kia Soul, it's like, everybody's got a Kia Soul. Um, so anyway, I see this plant everywhere. And, uh, and I, I'm so envious, because ours are just tiny. You know, it's like way more expensive to get the big one, so we got the small one. I see them, and people, they've just grown so large. And I, and I remember I was, I was driving around uh, earlier this week, and I thought, you know, growth of this plant is only going to happen in the spring. And, and so I'm going to have to wait a whole other year before I see any more growth to this plant. Dang it. And I remember, I, I was thinking, well, and I can probably even guess, you know, it's only going to grow, you know, about like a couple inches. So I can even imagine only, you know, how much bigger that plant is going to be, you know, next year. And I'm like, and I could imagine what it will be the year after that. Man, it's going to take forever for it to get that size. Dang it. There is a concept in the prophetic where the reaper overtakes the sower. The sower is sowing seed, and the reaper's like, oh. He's like, oh, there was a harvest. I didn't even know it. I was sowing seed into the harvest. (laughs) There's a, a reality in the prophetic where seasons that are natural and normal, they blend together. The prophetic, what it does is it steps out of what is normal, mundane, the wisdom that everybody can access through media, through news, through entertainment, and it gets divine energy and revelation into a normal setting to cause abnormal growth. There is a level in which it isn't limited by the natural season or what makes sense to that season, and it can cause seasons to overlap so that you continually live in harvest. It is God's intention for you to continually live in harvest, and I want to show you what I mean. The prophet Ezekiel prophesying about those who have access to the river of God flowing from his sanctuary. He says this, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will neither, that's supposed to be will, their leaves will neither wither nor will the fruit fail. Every month, everybody say that with me, every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Just this beautiful metaphor of what happens when the rivers of God have a connection point with your life. And the result of a life connected with God's sanctuary is this, Amos chapter nine. This is actually a passage that was given to us as a church when we first started. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading the grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. The seasons are getting jumbled because God intends that his people seed the world with such hope that they don't have to wait for another season for things to get hopeful again. Where are you rooted When you are rooted in the thoughts of God, fruitfulness will be the result every month. I am interested in a group of people who prophesy over Newburgh because I'm interested in a fruitful Newburgh. I am interested in an abundant valley. We're gonna start our next series in a couple weeks. It's called Abundant Valley. God's desire to actually cause abundance materially, spiritually, emotionally for a place. Last week at pre-gathering prayer, I had this image come to me of God taking a can of white paint and spreading it down all the streets of downtown Newburgh, and every street became white, and he was like, I'm washing people clean. Everybody in Newburgh, I'm washing people clean. 
And so I, I, I was like, that's, that's an interesting image. Should I share it? I figured I'd share it, so I shared it. Now, sure enough, Mike Doran was like, hey, I got, an, I got a similar word of holy water just being spread over all the streets in Newburgh. And now, now here's where I thought, oh, that's great. Well, let's just speak that out over Newburgh, and let's maybe do a prayer walk and just pray that God just covers every street with his presence, you know, and, and that would be great. But, but then I get this text from Mike. Here's the text that I get from Mike. Would you pray over a bucket of water with me? I was like, uh, what? <laughs> I'm like, would you pray over a bucket of water with me? And then I go, oh my gosh, you know what he wants to do? He wants to pray over a bucket of water and then spread that water over the streets of Newburgh, anointing them so that the abundance of God would find a home. <laughs> oh, I am so grateful for people like you in our church. I remember when we, uh, one day we were praying around the church and uh, we couldn't find any oil to anoint any of the doors with and so we just used Crisco. I'm like, That's, that works too. I appreciate that. That's a good thing. And so then I get this text from Mike. He's like, he's like, yeah, I'm gonna pray over this bucket of water and then I'm gonna just spread it all over all these streets in Newburgh. He's like, I'm just, I'm just looking for the right sprayer now. Um, so I'm like picturing, I'm like, Mike is going to be just spraying down the streets in Newburgh, which is holy water. I'm like, that is so good. It's like prophetic yard work for the Lord. That's what it is. See, how many of you guys understand that physical obedience brings spiritual release? So this is why the blood of the lamb is spread over the doorposts in Exodus. It's just physical obedience that's bringing spiritual release. This is why Mary, when she anoints Jesus' feet with oil, it's just physical obedience that's bringing about spiritual release. I love people who have a prophetic imagination and who enact that imagination because it's a physical way of marking our world for where we want heaven to come, right here in these streets, Lord. To prophetically anoint a place is to call down all of God's goodness and all of heaven's attention to a space. Anointing, that word in the scriptures, literally just means washed. It means the one who is washed. Often it's done with oil, and that, that uh, image of oil is not random. It's done because it's supposed to hearken back to Eden, where oil flowed freely. So what we're saying is we're saying, God, may this place drip with the oil of the fruit of God. It's not a random thought. It's not a random bucket of overchlorinated water. It's calling down heaven to make new birth home. Would you guys stand up for